is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Now you might be wondering why I'm speaking and not Nick. I'm actually an imposter. Nick is actually maybe somewhere. Nick is Nick is actually off. He's he's busy today. So you know what? He handed the reins over to to Jesse and I and said, you know what? You guys take it forward. I give you my blessing and the keys. Take it forward. And you know to join Jesse and I, we have a special guest. And again, this might be deja vu, but it's not. While we have Alex Ibiseta with us, as as you know, as as we normally do, but uh, in 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 other in other realms of podcasts. You might be thinking, is this another episode of Box to Box? Am I hearing things? No, actually, we are on the London is Blue podcast. We have Alex with us. Jesse's here. I'm here. And you're going to hear the three of us again talking about Chelsea versus Arsenal, the FA Cup final, the review, the, the episode you've all been waiting for. Jesse, how are you doing? I'm feeling great. Loving life. I was skipping down my road this morning, saying hello to strangers, smiling, whistling, you know, just... Just in a great mood. Excellent. Alex, on the other hand, how are you feeling? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You've so... come on the wrong podcast then. <laughs> I watched see I watched the game with Jesse and it was I, t- I, t- I took it better than I thought I would. But I think today it's been a bit more sulking. I I just recorded another podcast and spoke about it, so I'm I'm it's still replaying in my head and I don't want it to be. It's cathartic. Alex did come for a beer afterwards, which I thought was very good of her because I don't know if I would have done the same, to be honest. So I honestly, I, I was mad and then I was like, I, I don't want to ruin my day. So I waited till today. <laughs> it's fine. It's good. You know what? The gang's back together. Um, we're all here. I mean, what better way to talk about this game for the first time this week than the three of us together? Um... So, you know what? We're here to review Chelsea's utterly dominant win in the 2020-2021 FA Cup final, uh, in which they became three times FA Cup champions. Amazing. And kind of the overview of the episode is going to be, you know, reaction to Chelsea's win over Arsenal, you know, Chelsea's quadruple dream. They finally achieved it from last season, even though we're getting the final trophy now. We're going to talk about the tactical changes and the lineup discussion, what changes were made on both sides, especially what happened with Chelsea. You know, we saw a few tactical changes that probably caused Arsenal some problems and kind of how does this impact the season ahead? You know, what are we going to do? Just before we go into that, in the last episode when we had the preview, we had some score predictions. Jesse, do you want to read out the score predictions and tell everybody who got who got it wrong, who got it right? Yeah, so we had Flo Lloyd-Hughes was on our preview pod. She was backing the, the Chelsea 3-2 win in extra time. I went for 2-1, a Frank Herbie double. Abdullah went for a 3-2 Chelsea in the 90, and Nick went for a 3-1. So I think we have to give the points there to Nick because he was kind of kind of closest. But I said Frank Herbie would score twice, and she scored once and probably should have scored about four times. So I'm going to give myself points as well, you know. Good for me. Well done. <laughs> That's good for you. I think we can all take some points because Chelsea did score three goals. Nick gets the points for getting closer to Arsenal score. But then I also get points because I said Kerr and Kirby would score and they did both score. So I'll take some points for myself there. And they did it in 90 minutes. So I got... I got Everyone's two, a winner when Chelsea win. Everyone's a winner. That's everyone's a winner in some place. <laughs> Except for Alex. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so before we start, okay, what were you guys' thoughts before the kickoff and after the final whistle? You know, I know you guys were both at the stadium. Um, how was it over there? You know, give me the details. What, what was happening? Before the match, I it was really, it was kind of emotional almost because of, not because of the actual football match, but there was just so many young people coming here um, and going to the match. And it was, you can tell it was a lot of people's like first football match or at least first women's football match. Um, so that was very emotional to see, especially obviously on the anniversary of when the FA banned women's football. Um so it was a lot of like reflecting of where we are now and, and it was a really nice occasion. Um, so before it was just really, I was excited um, and emotional about everything and kind of just realizing how good we have it here um, and kind of the teams and the football that we get to watch every single week. And then after, um, not the greatest, but I won't talk about that. Jesse, you do, you, Jesse can probably get more in the, the things of how happy they were and, and, and all the feelings and stuff. So go on, Jesse. 
Yeah, I'll take the good the good vibes after. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was like fun, but I still think with these games, it's a very different atmosphere from the biggest men's games, you know. And and even after, even though I was on a high, it still felt like quite. Um, I quite subdued, I think, compared to what what you might expect sometimes. So, you know, it's great to see so many people in. I thought, in some ways, it was a great game. It was a great game if you were a first time Chelsea women fan. Uh, obviously, with these games, sometimes you're like, oh, it's a bit of a shame if people have gone to see Arsenal women for the first time, and and that you don't want that to kind of put them off going in the future. Uh, but yeah, on a personal level, I was just absolutely buzzing. It was just good vibes from start to finish, really, uh, from a from a Chelsea perspective. So yeah, and then. Everyone went out for beers and that was great as well. So really, really a great Sunday. And I rolled into work with a fuzzy head this morning. <laughs> well, that's well, that's excellent to hear from both perspectives. I obviously watched it at home, kind of just rushed home from work early, snuck past my boss. He didn't notice, so it's fine. I didn't get into trouble today. Ended up watching it at home. It was nice on TV. I mean, watching it from a from a from a TV perspective, it was it was an entertaining game, and 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 I was, you know I was able to. I mean, I know that I think we just talked about it before we came on recording. It was just you know it was a lot of like a lot of noise, and I think just generally the noise, at least on a, from a TV perspective, just really hypes up the occasion in any way. Uh, so it was nice to see that, and it really did feel like a cup final uh, and a really big occasion in, in in general with you know just kind of the pre-match stuff on Twitter timeline, kind of wherever I could soak in information from. But that aside, we're going to go into the patented three-word match review. Uh, where we talk about, you know, the three words that just describe the whole match. Jesse, I'll let you go first, uh, because I probably think you have one ready. And then Alex, I'll let you go next. I'm going to go with brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Because three goals for three words, and it was all brilliant. I was going to go for something with blue brilliance, but I couldn't think of a third word begin with B. And as I've said in the past, I always feel like I have to illustrate these things. I still do realise that's not the rule, but my brain just can't quite compute that. So there we go. Brilliant, totally brilliant, cool. brilliant. Totally cool. Alex? Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Plain and simple. Very, very, very easy. Straightforward. Right, no problem. <laughs> straightforward straight to the point it's all good i think i'm gonna go for the Kirk kirby show i mean it was just unbelievable i mean the the performance that those two put up you know uh as as part of the front three i think was unreal i think we'll get into this later but i think that was kirby's best performance uh at least i've seen in in, in the last like 12 to 18 months you know and there have been a lot of big performances there so you know, she showed up for the final um yeah but you know, we'll we'll just let's get into the details. I mean, the match was obviously Arsenal versus Chelsea at Wembley Stadium. It was on Sunday, the fifth of December. Uh, Chelsea win it, you know, three nil. Kerr with a double. Uh, Kirby with with her with her goal. And then the you know most importantly, I think the Wembley attendance was forty thousand nine hundred and forty two. Which you know what for for everything there, I think it was uh, it was fantastic. I mean, for you could feel the 40, 40, 40,000 people there, almost forty one thousand. And and as you guys said, you know, atmosphere was 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 nice and nice and electrifying. So let's get into the into the team news, and we'll start with Arsenal. Alex, I'll let you talk about the Arsenal team news and kind of what stood out from you from the starting lineup and and on the bench there. Yeah, I mean, it was just very confusing his his selections for. I think top three was fine. It was more defensively in midfield. I think when you have Freedom Adam, Lee Valti, and Kim Little on the same midfield, I just think it doesn't work well. Um, and we've seen that quite a few times in the league where you have this midfield and you need to bring on a more creative player to bring that spark and kind of revive everything. Um, I believe it was against Aston Villa, Man United, you know, Arsenal struggled to score in these games. And once a player like Jordan Nobbs, Manu Mabuchi came on, then we were able to do a lot more. Um, so I don't really understand his thinking process for this midfield, knowing damn well that it does not do justice for everything that's supposed to happen especially on this occasion I get that he was trying to be a bit more defensively in the midfield but I don't think it was really necessary the way that Arsenal have been playing I don't think they really needed to be more conservative than anything and especially in the occasion um it was a bit of a shame that he didn't come into this full guns blazing and, and giving Chelsea the game kind of you know putting them on the back foot and I think defensively it was a really poor poor decision to put Lotta and Jen Beatty together as center back pairings. I have respect for them, but I I mean we saw yesterday. I'm, if I'm being very blunt, Lotta had a 
very, very poor game. Um, and I don't think Jen did the best, but I think that's what we expect of Jen. I mean, she had a poor game, but you know, you don't expect Jen Beattie to outpace strikers. You don't expect Jen Beattie to to kind of be a Leah Williamson, for example. And I think that's what both of them need next to them is a better player. And I think Leo Valti would have been my preferred center back. Um, she's played there last season and she does well. I mean, Leo Valti is a very, very good player. And I think, especially in the way that Jonas wants to play, she hasn't been thriving in that, that number six role for him because he expects that player to be a lot more offensively than what Leo Valti is. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to put Leo Valti in a position that she's genuinely comfortable with. Um and I think she would have been a lot better than Lata in, in positioning herself to be able to actually do stuff. Because when you look at the goals, most of it was just down to positioning and the way that the defensive line positioned themselves, dropped off and covered spaces was just very, very poor. I think Leo Valti would have also been a better leader in that defensive line and, and would have sparked up a lot of communication that was missing. Um, so I think that because then on top of that, then you leave a gap in the midfield where you're able to bring on a player like Jordan Obbs or Mane Marabucci, for example. So I think just his reasoning behind his his formations and the players that he put in, in certain positions was just really poor thinking. And I don't really know what his intentions were because there was no game plan that was visible, visible on the pitch. And when it wasn't working out, he didn't really make good changes. And so his formations and substitutions were just very, very questionable. No, that's fair. It's a very detailed uh, explanation, and I and I agree. I think that was that was probably where uh, they kind of just you know were, were lacking in 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 just the overall game. There was a clear, almost like a a weak point from the start. You could see it from minute one where where the issues were. Jesse, do you want to run through the Chelsea lineup and kind of you know talk about your anything that you know stood out for you in this Chelsea lineup? Yeah, I mean, so we had Berger and goal, Bright, Carter, and Eriksson as. A back three, or was it? Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, then Cuthbert and Wrighton as the wing backs, England Loypots as double pivot, and Fleming Kerr and Kirby up front. So pretty much, I think exactly as we kind of predicted in in that um, in that preview show. I don't think there was many surprises here. As I say, if anything, maybe the surprises were less about who was on the pitch, but but maybe where they were playing. There were definitely points where it kind of looked like Chelsea were more like in a back four. Maybe with Eriksson as kind of the left back, she's obviously played that role for Sweden. And similarly, kind of initially at least, Kirby started off almost in a ten role behind Fleming and Kerr as a front two. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was I think it was definitely the right choice from Emma. I think the result bore that out. But you know, I think previously we felt that Ingle Loipolt's double pivot was was the most defensively solid that that Chelsea have had this season. And I think going into this game what was really important given that match on the opening day and kind of the prestige of it being a final was to not let things get out of hand. And I think taking that more defensive option obviously really paid off for Chelsea. Um, and I thought Ingle and Loiports both had, had a great game. Um, and then, we, you know, we kind of like later on in the game saw cameos from Harder returning after injury for the first time, which was great to see. And, now and also came back from injury for about two minutes uh, and England G came on as well. And of course, of course, when you knew the game was done with 10 minutes to go, Drew Spence came on. And that was it. That was when it was all wrapped up. That's that's when you know the game is over when Drew Spence comes on and she took a big whack from Katie McCabe. Though. So that was uh, that was that was her, you know, stamp on the game saying, you know, I'm here. I'm going to I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to quickly run through the stats of the game. Um, so Arsenal had 64 percent possession and Chelsea had 36, which I think this was more of a deliberate ploy for Chelsea to let Arsenal have the ball and kind of hit them on the counter. But we'll get into that. Uh, Arsenal had nine shots on goal compared to Chelsea 16. But. Funnily enough, Chelsea had eight on target. Arsenal had zero. Uh, eight corners for Arsenal versus uh, Chelsea's four, and nine fouls versus Chelsea's eight. And it's the first time a side that has had zero shots on target in an FA Cup final for at least a decade, which I think says a lot about the game state and kind of says a lot about the way Chelsea, I think, performed mainly in midfield because they didn't have too much to defend against. And I think that midfield double pivot, I think, did a lot of work to restrict Arsenal from getting you know, shots on target, uh, you know, along with the defense and and kind of also spoke volumes about kind of the way Arsenal uh, set themselves up in the middle. And I think, you know, Alex alluded to it earlier with the whole, I think the combination in midfield was wrong and that affected the defense and kind of the whole thing had like a domino effect from there. Um, and, you know, 
and Katrin Berger is the first goalkeeper to, to keep a clean sheet against Arsenal this season, which again, big news because Arsenal have been rampant as we as we've seen. Um Jesse, what's your stat of the week? Yeah, so my stat of the week is that by winning this, Chelsea became um the team that has beaten Arsenal most in domestic trophy finals. So previously Chelsea and Man City I mean this is this will be my one credit to Arsenal. It's like kind of crazy how much Arsenal just win everything. This stat was quite easy to research because most of Arsenal's finals they just win. But City had previously beaten Arsenal twice in Continental Cup finals, but Chelsea now have done it twice in the FA Cup and once in the Continental Cup. So there we go. London is blue indeed. London is blue. Moving up moving up in the in the world. All right. Now I think before we move to the before we move to our main first section i think we'll just take a quick ad break here and we thank the sponsors for financially supporting the show just a kind of reminder to everybody some housekeeping notes we're, we're covering the women's team every week uh normally nick is here hosting it but you know what you're hearing us for the first time this season uh, alone uh if you're on apple Podcasts, you know rate and review we'd love to get some you know some five star ratings out there and you know obviously shout out to the women's team and if you like the coverage that we're giving out then you know We'd love and appreciate your your support. And then obviously there is an amazing community on, on Patreon. So I think that's something that you guys should definitely check out if you're if you're keen. There's a nice community there. We're there. So you can you can interact with us and we can all have a nice big conversation. Uh, so we'll just be back. And we're back. Okay, so let's talk about Chelsea's you know, trophies from last season. Obviously we've kind of gone over the reaction. Let's kind of make a quick kind of recap on everything that's happened. You know, um, Jess, I'm going to start with you very quickly. Now that Chelsea have won the FA Cup, you know, they've kind of won the Community Shield last season. They won the Conti Cup. They won the WSL in the FA Cup. What do you think this is? What kind of, now that you've seen this, what does that mean for Chelsea as, as a club and, and kind of moving forward? For you. Yeah, I think the reason it, it meant so much is kind of because of almost the nature of this weird football calendar we've had, wherein obviously we're playing this 2021 FA Cup final in December in the new season. But actually, I think it's worked out really well for the club because I think last season kind of ended on such a sour note with that Champions League final loss. And I do think, you know, at the start of this season, it really felt like there was a lack of confidence in the side. There was maybe like a couple of players where it felt like, they were not necessarily doubting the side's ability, but it definitely felt like, um, you know, a veneer of invincibility had maybe come come off off this Chelsea team. Uh, and then that was obviously, you know, only added to by losing to Arsenal on the opening day. So I think to get the win, to get the treble, quadruple, whatever you want to count it as, um, to be the kind of first Chelsea side ever to do that, men's or women's, just acts as a reminder and a celebration of what a great season last year was and how dominant we were domestically to to win it all. Um, and I think also it was satisfying because, you know, obviously we won the league and we were like genuinely very good when we won the league, but we played the Continental Cup against like Bristol City. So again, that didn't really have like a big like final feel. It was like almost more marred by Marimielda's injury than actually something you could enjoy. So I think, you know, beating Arsenal, making that statement, getting to celebrate last year, um, all of that just felt like it wrapped up really, really nicely. Um, and I think is a really good like starting point for the rest of the season. It almost does feel like the kind of like, this is where this season begins now. So, you know, I think it's going to be really exciting to see where Chelsea go next. Nice. And Alex, for you, do you think that Arsenal would have had a better chance of beating Chelsea uh, at the end of last season if this had taken place when it was supposed to be? Or do you think the result would have been the same? The result would have been exactly the same. I think last season, we saw that Arsenal were struggling until the end of it. it under Joe Montemoro, I think it had gotten to the point um, where it wasn't too bad. And I mean, you saw Arsenal last season, you know, they they scraped that third place Champions League spot. Um, so it was, I, don't, I really don't think it would have been better. And that's what I think that's what was most disappointing about this final was that we've gotten so much better since last season. And then yesterday was just reverting back to the worst of the worst of Arsenal, which was essentially a lot of last season. Um, and I think that's what hurt the most, at least from an Arsenal perspective, was that we know that, and you guys know also after that, that when uh, beginning of the season, you know, Arsenal have turned things around quite well and until the last couple of weeks of course but I think that's what that was what what was most disappointing was that this was kind of the chance to 
to keep going the season and kind of forget about last season and, and kind of bring that back. Um, but no, we, we, we just looked like the way the badness of last season came back and it was just really disappointing to win. So I think this game could have happened last season. It would have been exactly the same. That's fair. And I, I think, I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny to see because you, you look at that first game of the season, also beating Chelsea and kind of a lot of people, yes, you know, Chelsea changed formation. It was brand new, but I think a lot of people thought, right, you know, Arsenal mean business. They're here. And it, and it almost feels like Arsenal just really, you know, built themselves up. Let's say, let's say to get to this game. And, you know, they showed that, you know what, they are a force to be reckoned with this season. And Chelsea progressively got better as the season wore on. And it just kind of felt like Chelsea took their their learnings and applied them in this game, whereas Arsenal maybe just kind of, for whatever reason, faltered and just kind of went back to not even not square one, but like they definitely took two steps back uh, in this whole thing. And I think I think it'll be interesting to see um, Jonas Eidevold's rea- and Arsenal's reaction when they come back and play in the WSL next, and and see how they how they perform again, and at least definitely how they perform against the next big side that they play. Uh, which is going to be in a couple of days' time, so that's uh, that's an interesting. That'll be an interesting game, but um, we'll we'll uh, oh, anyway we'll talk about that soon. So here's a here's a quote from Emma Hayes that just came after the game. She said, "I'm extremely proud of everyone in our organization. Our performance was out of this world today. We were dominant from start to finish. I was upset we weren't up by more than one at halftime, but it was convincing in the end. That's the best performance I've seen from Fran. She ran the show. The midfield was set up to do a job and allow Sam and uh, Fran and Sam to go and play." It's nice to paint Wembley blue tonight. It's a Chelsea day. The fans deserve that. The, winning the treble is an amazing achievement, and I will sit down and enjoy that this evening. Women's football was banned 100 years ago. I said to the girls before the game, today we play for everyone who's made the women's game what it is. And you know, women's football is, out, is our livelihood, but it's also our passion. And today, that was a win for every woman who's been involved in the in women's football in this country. And now, that's a question for both of you, and, and Alex, I'll, Alex, I'll let you go first. What does it mean to you? I mean, generally speaking, like the the occasion that this whole game was based around, you know, women's football be banned 100 years ago. What has that what does that mean for you, uh, you know, being in London now for a couple of years and and kind of being around the women's game? What does that mean to you? And then obviously, Jesse, same question for you. Yeah, it's been I mean, it's been amazing, even just in the couple of years that I've been here, the the spark and kind of the surge of women's football has been very noticeable. Um, I got here in 2019, so just the summer after the World Cup. Um, so that was like, I think that was a really good time to get here. It was kind of the start of everything. Um, and getting here first and kind of seeing where it is now, there's been a lot of progress. And then spanning that to 100 years behind, even 10 years, you know, short amounts of time, where we are now is not even a comparison to where we were just two years ago, much less a hundred years ago. So just kind of reflecting on everything and kind of, I think that's what it was yesterday. Well, before the match, let's say that it was a lot of it was kind of soaking in where women's football is right now and how it's being celebrated on the day, um, which was really nice. Yeah, it was, it was again, you know, all these young fans, all these, um, Jesse can attest that we were entering into the stadium. These group of blokes were just chanting a Fran Kirby chant. Um, and that's not, you know, you wouldn't see these kinds of people in a match two, three years ago. Um, so it was just kind of a lot of it was a testament to everything and everyone who has worked in women's football and has gotten it to the point that it is now. And you look back and you look at these women who played 100 years ago and they were banned and you kind of look back at them and you you recollect everything that they went through and everywhere that it is now and you kind of you thank them for everything and then you kind of you know it's one of those cliche things that everything is for them everything who everyone who has come before has worked for it you know everyone has has put in a lot of effort into everything and and it's not just you know one person it is a collective so the occasion itself was just a really nice testament obviously it wasn't you know the best um you know it's not a when you look at the camera angles, you know, there's still a whole top tier of Wembley that's empty and it's not nice to see, but, you know, we're getting there slowly and it's about recognizing these small achievements and these small moments, which I think what was really nice to see yesterday, um, it was, you know, there was a lot of people, again, the atmosphere around it was a lot of excitement, which was nice that you don't really get to see in obviously the small, smaller stadiums that are very more secluded, you know, Wembley Way, Box Park, for example, you know, it's just, it's a whole day that you make out of it. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a celebration to where women's football is now. 
Yeah, I mean, I still think it it was like a kind of strange flex from the FA to like really like promo this. We were kind of talking about this from the game, but to be like, woo, we banned football for women. And now we're kind of like trying to own that we did that. And I wasn't quite sure how much that narrative works coming from the people who did it. Um, but it it's it's fascinating because, you know, I don't like to get too bogged down in like the attendance stuff and the atmosphere stuff because I feel like it can sometimes just take away from the focus a lot but I think what's what we're kind of finding out is like this progress in inverted commas isn't necessarily like a linear thing it doesn't just grow and grow we've kind of seen attendances for FA Cups like stagnate around this level for quite a while now and you know it's funny like women's FA Cups was some of the first football matches that I went to when I was kind of eight, nine years old. And and at the time that we'd see kind of like 15,000. So really, like, if you think about that, like over the past 20 years, like there's not like it still kind of feels like it hasn't really pushed on to to where it was. And, and realistically, it felt like Wembley should have been sold out yesterday. Like it was two London teams. They were the two best teams to go into the final everyone thought it was going to be a close game you know I think in the past when we've seen like City play West Ham or something you're like well I can kind of see why that doesn't necessarily get like the juices flowing but I think it was a shame that it wasn't bigger yesterday but I also think it will come and you know also it was like still on a Premier League weekend so that like makes things complicated as well I think be really interesting next year for the first time they're going to do back-to-back men's and women's FA Cup finals on the same weekend. So I think that will be like a great, the whole weekend will be geared around the FA Cups. And actually, I think that will do a lot more to push the game because people will see them as like a joint thing. The weekend will be cleared for it. And as long as the men's one doesn't get like, the coverage doesn't subsume it, I think that that might be a better strategy. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, No, excellent. Uh, Great words from the both of you. Um, All right. Now let's go into everybody's favorite part, the tactical part. So obviously this was, you know, a hugely huge part of the game and kind of, you know, part, you know, main reason how, you know, why Chelsea were so dominant in this game. And and I think, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go over the, we've just gone over the team lines, but let's go over the actual tactics that were in play. So Obviously, Chelsea started off with a 3-4-3, as they've been doing, you know, throughout the season. But it, it almost felt like, and a lot of people were saying that it looked like Chelsea were using a, a sort of 4-4-2, 3-4-2-1 out of possession, uh, you know, when, when when Arsenal had the ball. And I think a lot of that was used to, um, was was used as a, as a pressing mechanism to kind of get certain players in certain positions to, to be able to press better. And obviously, we saw that from minute one. Chelsea's press at least in the first 20-25 minutes and obviously through the game but the first 20-25 minutes was almost immaculate they were they were pressing down they were closing down the spaces one of the things that we talked about on the preview pod was closing down that 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 space between Wubin Moy and then Leo Volti in, in that area and if you can stop the pass getting out from there you've, you've got to get a lot of joy and I think uh, the front three I think the fact that they were so narrow in their press at times in terms of playing whether it's a two and a one or a one and a two uh, I think that was a huge ploy in trying to stop that pass com- that first pass coming out and the fact that there was no Leah Williamson for me was hugely important the fact that their best ball player from the back wasn't there so you're putting pressure on two players who are not as good at doing the same thing and there was more joy to be had and I think that was um that was very very interesting um but Jesse what did you think of the front three from an off the ball perspective and 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 the way Chelsea played generally without the ball uh, to, to negate Arsenal yeah I think initially um it definitely felt like the focus was on really disrupting those passing lanes towards Leo Volti. And there was lots of pressure on Beattie and Moy to kind of make them take decisions earlier with Fran kind of dropping back and almost marking Volti, but also England Leupolz being ready to push up as well so they could double up on her. But I think because Chelsea then scored so early, um, there was kind of, it felt like um, a more like relaxedness about sitting back more and it felt more like the focus was less per se on the press. Uh, as it were, but more about actually the shadow play and kind of cutting off the passing lanes like that. Because I also think Chelsea realised pretty quickly 
on that like Wobbermoy and BT weren't really going to do anything that exciting with the ball. So they were kind of happy to let them have it and pass around. And something I found really strange um, re-watching the game today was how far away Arsenal's fullbacks were in like the build-up play but then they weren't ever really getting involved like that high up the pitch I just couldn't figure out where they were supposed to be standing and and lots of the time the camera angle meant that you couldn't really see where they were like they were just out of shot so I found all that like from an Arsenal perspective quite strange but I think you know for Chelsea and the press it was effective and it was good and it was high but really that's like kind of what you should expect expect from Chelsea and I guess really normally knowing that you want to say okay let's not do anything silly for the first kind of half an hour 45 minutes 60 minutes because realistically a team can't keep up that intensity all match long but because Arsenal conceded so early Chelsea it was much easier for them to kind of like chill out sit back in a mid block a bit more and and um kind of save the high press for the moments where where they really felt like they needed it. No, and and just kind of piggybacking off your point on 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 Arsenal's fullbacks, uh, Alex, what did you think the you know what what you know when you when you're looking at Arsenal's fullbacks, obviously they weren't pushing up as high, and obviously Chelsea's fullbacks were, were really all over the game. What were the for you the key differences between the two sets of fullbacks, and was what would you have wanted Arsenal's you know fullbacks to do that Chelsea's wingbacks were probably maybe doing, or or vice versa? I think what Chelsea did really well was minimize the space for our wingers. Um, if you watch Arsenal, you know that a lot of the services that come into it come from the wing. And you see that, you know, players like Katie McCabe, uh, Beth Mead, you know, sometimes Caitlin Ford when she's on. The wings are a very big part of Arsenal's build-up play. And I think Chelsea did really well to minimize that space um, because... You know, obviously playing with the back three, that is the problem, is that you have so much space on the wings that can be exploited. Um, and I think players like Aaron Cuthbert stepped up a lot. You know, that Aaron cuthbert Katie McKay battle was really good. Um, and I think Aaron Cuthbert did get the better of it, unfortunately, for us. Um, I just don't think... Kate McCabe was a really good offensive player, but when she's put under this pressure, I don't think she's a good enough attacking player to get up. You know, she's not a natural attacking player like Beth Mead, like Vivian Miedema, and it hurts to say, but like Nikki Paris even. Um, you know, she's not going to be that player that takes on the 1v1s, that runs down the wing. You know, she's a defender at the end of the day. She's just really good on the wing. Um, so I think little things like that, Chelsea did a lot better in. And when you look at, the Arsenal positioning defensively, the positioning was absolutely terrible. It was horrible. You have a lot of the time you would have Steph Catley and Beth Mead so close to each other that it was just pointless to have them there. The space between the fullback and the winger was just terrible because they were too close to do anything. And then they were too far to actually interlink at all. Um, and it wasn't until Beth and Beth Mead and Katie McCabe switched sides where we saw a bit of interlinking play between Kim Little and Beth Mead on, on that left side. But the positioning centrally or centre-backs, when you saw the first goal, for example, um, Fran Kirby's... I mean, it was unfortunately for Arsenal that the ball just ricocheted off Freedom Adam twice in the in the wrong direction for, for a Chelsea player to pick it up. But essentially, both lots of women boy and Jen Beat were, were attracted to Sam Kerr's run. And because Noel Maric was so far out, like Fran Kirby had all that space to pick up the ball and drive in like she did and if you pause it right after she gets the ball if you pause it she's literally being a, lot, a line of four defenders just off of touch so defensively Arsenal's positioning was just really really bad and it was really easy for Fran and Sam to exploit that I mean you saw a lot of the times you know Fran and and Sam and even Jesse Fleming and that they were doing a lot of first time touches and it was you know they're not complicated passes you're not you know going through lines it's just simple pass back, pass back, you know, give and goes, running into space. You know, it's simple, simple things that Arsenal just couldn't deal with. Um, so in terms of fullbacks, I think the centre-backs positioning just didn't help and the fullbacks were affected by that because they were just 12-4 out and couldn't actually help. Um, so I think positioning was just a big, big default in Arsenal's defensive display overall yesterday. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think I think just kind of touching on Chelsea's two wingbacks as well, I think uh, I actually also think this was probably one of Cuthbert's best games as, as a right wingback. I think 
she applied herself both offensively and defensively so well you know you could see the the attacking threat you could see her you know being able to uh you know to, to be able to get down the wing and kind of you know uh, uh to help the help the front three but at the same time when it came to stopping McCabe who you know pre-game big player has been in the form of, you know it's been a really good form this season form of a life and just managed to really get the better of her and stop her and she was really aggressive closing on the threat you know I think off the ball as well I think there was a lot of time she almost played as like this inverted wing back where she would just tuck inside off the ball and kind of create the extra person in midfield and I think we'll get onto the the double pivot in, in a minute but you know her coming inside and kind of helping out Ingle and Leupold and making up the three versus three against Arsenal's three and I think that's where you know that that, that tactical move from Emma Hayes to be able to do that but then her you know Cuthbert's intelligence to be able to know when to move inside when to stay outside and kind of cover uh, that entire area from defense attack and kind of midfield and I think one of the I wouldn't say criticisms but one of the things about Cuthbert at least last season was that she was her stamina wasn't good she would get substituted at 60-65 minutes pretty much every time she started a game because it was always all right you've done a lot of work for 60 minutes you're too tired you'd come off and she can't continue the game but you know this season I think that has improved obviously by playing more games and I think this game she was um outstanding and on the other side I think Guru Wrighton really pushed Noel Mertz and just didn't give her a chance to come forward because it was just constant pressure 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 take the ball and Wrighton in the league is one of the best 1v1 wingers anyway so when you put her when you put her on the ball as a left wing back and you're just saying listen the left side is completely yours you take it you run with it down there then you're you're really asking you know your the opposition fullback to really have to sit back and I think that's one of the things that I don't think the you know Catley or Mertz did well was when they had the ball I, there was no urgency there was no directness from them and there was no like intent for them to run forward and really push forward like in previous games if we look at the Manchester United game the whole reason that they did well on the left side was because McCabe and Catley combined well. You could see Catley making these overlapping runs and kind of getting the ball in. Whereas in this game, there just wasn't that there. So, that you know, Alex, you talked about um, the interlinking play on the left side for Arsenal. Yeah, that just wasn't there. And I think that's why it just felt like it was almost easier for Cuthbert because it was just, all right, I just have to take care of McCabe. She's very left-footed. You know, so I just I know how to stop her. Whereas if there was that overlapping run, you then force other players to come inside and, and, and do all that. So I, I think that was I think that was key. Um, but kind of speaking of the double pivot, I think this Ingle Leupold's double pivot, I think, was was the one I think we all called it. But I think it was perfect. I think the way they played this game was down to perfection when they want to play against big game. I think when Emma Hayes looks in the future to get play, OK, this is how I, you know, how do I want my double pivot to play? This is exactly the game I want to play. And I, f- I felt like, though it was a 2v3, it felt like Chelsea had more players in midfield and, and Leupold was able to cover defensively and in an attacking sense without making the midfield look empty. And Ingle just covered her spaces really, really well. Um, Jesse, what were your thoughts on, 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 on the two of them together? And is this what you would want to see going forward against, for example, Wolfsburg, Juventus and later in the Champions League? I thought they both had immense games, definitely. The amount of ground it felt like both of them covered was really impressive. And, and it was genuinely like that there was more players in there than Arsenal. And, you know, I obviously think they were they were helped out by the fact that all of Kerr, Kirby and Fleming were were willing to drop deep and, you know, also Cuthbert, like, looking to come inside at points as well. But I think in terms of going forward, I do like it a lot, but I think, again, game state suited this double pivot so much from scoring so early on because we know that Chelsea can counter-attack and that they're happy to sit back and, like, exploit the space the opposition is forced to leave in behind. So, you know, I do wonder if in... In some games, it's it's the right thing. And I think in this game, it was and it made a lot of sense. But in others, it can leave you kind of overly stodgy in kind of midfield and, and defence, especially when you are playing three centre-backs. So, you know, I think what's great about this game and what we've kind of seen Emma do across the season is it feels like she is getting a better grasp every game of, of who, what personnel she wants for which opposition. And I felt like at the start of the season, we were more in a tr- kind of trial and error on that element. But now it kind of feels like she's like, right, okay, if I'm going to need someone who's going to be a bit more creative to unlock stuff, I want to play G. If I feel confident that our like runners, because, you know, 
Hayes must have looked at who Arsenal were going to play in defence. And, you know, she knows Williamson is out. We maybe thought BT was going to be out. But either way, you know, it was like Volte, Wobbermoy, BT, potentially Patton, maybe, or Sorensen. But, like, none of these defenders are, like, super speedy. So you've got to go into that game and think, you know, Kerr and Kirby are going to be able to outrun these players. And that's basically what happened. You know, like, even on that second goal, when... Kerr just like steams past Lotta Wobbermoy like realistically like Sam Kerr from that position like I know she's fast but I'm still not sure like it felt like Lotta Wobbermoy was running through treacle like I didn't really realize how slow she was but she felt very very slow so I think again that allows you to think well you know we can be a bit more risk averse when it comes to going forward because I back my players to to be able to make up the space we're going to kind of leave as a result that's the one thing that I feel like in other games you can't necessarily like bank on happening. No, that's that's absolutely fair. I think yeah, game state I think is is a hugely important uh, important factor in this. Um, you know, and 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 Alex, you touched upon this earlier when we we're talking about team lineups. But it, again, like like just kind of go back to what I was saying. I think the the double pivot felt more overpowering than Arsenal's three. You know, you touched upon Holt, you know, probably playing Leo Volti at centre back and probably bringing in, you know, either Nobs or Eva Bucci. Who do you think for you would have been the best matchup against this double pivot if you had to go back and pick again? And kind of would you have picked Eva Bucci or Nobs to kind of pick up one of those roles in, in that midfield, uh, you know, three? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation because obviously you have a lot of different players types of players at Arsenal that fit in the midfield but I think my you know Freda Manon would have been my first choice pivot player and then Kim Little is always going to be my midfield but then the third player I think should have been Jordan Nobbs for more of a reason um, I think Manu Abuchi, she you saw the effect that Manu Abuchi Kate got when she just came on I mean the spark that she has the intensity that she has that I mean she just does it flawlessly but I think Jordan Nobbs has a lot more fire in her at this very moment that it could have been a lot more effective. And, um, you know, Jordan Nobbs has played in a lot of FA Cup finals. She's played in a lot of these games. She's, you know, she's fired up to play against Chelsea in an FA Cup final. It's just she, I think she would have lived up to the moment. And I think that could have helped Arsenal because overall in the team, I don't think anyone had that you know Kim Little is, is, is an outstanding leader but she's not a vocal leader necessarily like a person like Jordan Nobbs who will get in your face and tell you to get your shit together and we need to win this game I think Jordan Nobbs would have been a lot better for Arsenal in that perspective and I think that creativity was missing in the Arsenal midfield as I mentioned those you know Freedom Adam, Leo Valti and Kim Little put in the midfield you lose a lot going forward and a player like Jordan Nobbs would have been that creative spark that was needed because when you have, for example, when you have a player like Viv Miedema to drop back and when she doesn't get the ball, she does that. And yesterday she did not get the ball. So she would have liked to have collected deeper. But then when she does that, you need someone running in behind. Uh, Kim Little isn't, you know, she'll do that occasionally, but that's not her first option. Um, you know, Freedom and Leo Valti were too pinned back to be able to actually be involved in the attacking play. So when you have a player like Jordan Nobbs playing that position, I think that would have been a lot more effective um, because, you know, zero shots on target for Arsenal. Our attack was basically, you know, they could have not been there and it would have been the same because we didn't give them any balls. We didn't feed any balls. We couldn't progress the ball up our pitch um, effectively. And I think Jordan Obbs was really missing um, for both her footballistic skills, but also her leadership skills in this occasion that I think Arsenal missed out on. Um so I think Freedom Manum, Kim Little, and Jordan Obbs would be my ideal, um, not for all games, but specifically for this game. I think that would have been the best midfield three. No, that's that's fair, and I think I think with uh, you know I think if if the runners were there, I think we we've talked about Ingles' lack of mobility, and I think in this game it helped the fact that and going back to Jesse's point on game state, I think it helped the fact that it was only Freedom Manum who makes those, those 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 dynamic runs and those runs into into, into midfield from midfield, sorry, rather, that Ingle was able to kind of time her runs and be able to really cover and, and cover those spaces because everybody else had covered the other spaces. And I think Leupold's going back and forth helped that. And I think maybe if there was a Jordan Nobbs and a Freedom Manum, it becomes very difficult and it forces the double pivot to kind of have to sit back more than they can go forward. And I think that creates a whole different dynamic and a whole different game. So I definitely agree with you over there. So the, kind of the last part of the 
of I think that I think the the team that we need to talk about and we touched upon it, but you know we saved the best for last is that Chelsea front three. I think um, it wasn't exactly a surprise to see Jesse Fleming start. You see, you know, considering the fact that uh, Harder is still coming back from injury and she she again had a cameo appearance today. But um, Jesse, what did you think of the front three overall? Do you think this is the this is the way Chelsea should be looking to go forward until Jesse Fleming has an off game and then it gives Panilla a chance to come in, or would you just put Panilla harder back in there? So almost like a two part question. I mean, I thought the front three. Well, I thought Fran and Sam especially were just electric. Like they just oozed confidence for all of the game even when they were kind of not putting away their chances it still felt like they just believed they would carry on getting into those areas carry on getting those opportunities and like both of Sam's finishes in particular is just like a player who's like truly on top of top of a game you know there was there's obviously the kind of cheeky one to wrong foot Zinsberger and then the lob as well um there's a great picture of Steph Catley who like looks like she just wants the ground to swallow her up as she watches the ball go over her head for that third goal um so yeah I think what Kerr and Kirby did really well which is what they always do really well is they make it very unpredictable still for who's going to take the shot and if they're going to pass because they can be so selfless, but they will also, you know, both take the shot if they want to. Uh, And it felt like, I mean, I think really Arsenal just didn't seem very switched on to that at all. Like there are a number of times where, you know, Jen Beater would make kind of a poor clearance ahead of that wouldn't go very far. And it was like, she just wasn't switched on to the fact that it was going to be a second phase of play. And then suddenly, you know, they were both in. Um, And again, even, you know, Jessie Fleming, she wasn't really that involved in the, attacking play but lots of the time she was making these kind of third man runs and it felt like her and Kirby didn't really need her but again no one was picking her up and it was really really strange to see you know because you were just like do you guys know who these players are like they're not like the under 11s like they're gonna score if you let them like just run into the penalty area all the time um and in fact they actually contrived not to score for large portions of the game uh but when they did they were very it was very good um it felt yeah also classic Sam Kerr you miss all the easy chances and you score the ridiculously hard ones um but yeah I, I thought they they both had a great game and you know, obviously Sam was doing it to impress Christy, which he had to tell the world afterwards. And uh, by the sounds of things, Christy was very impressed uh, from from our spies on the inside. So you know that all worked out out well for her. And yeah, a great a great game for both of them. Obviously, to the world, it was just average performance, as Instagram told us. <laughs> no, but I, I think no, I think the front three were were fantastic. And um, you know, I'm excited to see what this front three looks like with Penny Lahada back in this rhythm uh, and i'm curious to see and i i would say we'll get into it in a second but i think i i would assume that harder will start the game uh in uh, you know in, in the champions league when they when they play next and that will be i think a very it'll be interesting to see whether you know one of the front two will get will get a rest you know whether bethany england comes in bethany uh, england harder and maybe somebody else so I, that combination will be good but whenever the front three do play again I'd love to see what the what the the chemistry is like. Considering now, one's coming back from injury, the other two were in the form of their lives. So, and you know what? Obviously, the Sam Kerr contract situation is all done and dusted. So that 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 ease of mind of the front three are going to be there for at least the next season or two is is at ease for for even them. So I think that's that's good. As Sam Kerr, she said a couple of words after the game. So she said, "You know, I think we deserved it. Me and Fran scored, but the defense was amazing. It was a team effort. We'll enjoy this one. And we felt like we dominated, but." They defended well in the first half and we couldn't away, put away some easy chances. So we knew we had to score again and put the game to bed and, and, and we did. Also put their bodies on the line, but if we kept pushing, we knew we'd get the win. And at the Wembley, at Wembley in front of the crowd, it, it can't get any better. We conceded not many goals in the last few games and scored a bunch. I think we're the best team in England. And I think at this point in time, it's very hard to argue that fact, you know, based on their performances in the last few games, the way they beat Arsenal, um, you know, on uh, on Sunday. I think it's, it's, hard, it's hard to argue that fact. You know, when... You know, I, I think when she says we couldn't put away some easy chances, I think Sam, it was you who couldn't put away some easy chances. So let's just let's just make that clear. Um, and we'll just go into the final part of of kind of today's uh, episode. And you know, well, let's talk about what impact can this match have for Chelsea on the rest of the season. You know, they've got Juve at home on Thursday. Um, how do you th- you know uh, 
Alex, how do you think this Chelsea, you know, how do you think this game is going to go about, you know, psychologically where Chelsea are at? Do they, do they, you know, are they going to be psychologically tired, mentally tired after after a game like this? Or do you think they're just going to go in, you know, try and beat Juventus with a full strength team and then rest over the weekend, you know, in the next WSL game? I think it depends how, what priorities have Chelsea have for this group stage? Because I think, I mean, realistically, if Juventus win, they can go level on points in the group. But with the goal difference, that's not going to happen. Um, so Chelsea have that goal difference to fall back on. And so even if they lose this match, which is still a possibility, realistically, um, if even if they lose this match, they're still likely to go top of the of the table in the Champions League match. So it's just a matter of what, Emma Hayes wants to prioritize and, and what the team wants to prioritize, whether it's, it's, you know, not overloading players and kind of not putting out your best and kind of accepting the consequences that could potentially, I'm not saying that Juventus are going to win. I'm just saying that, you know, last time it was a good match. And if Chelsea don't put out the best 11, then it might bring up that, that consequence of losing to Juventus. But at the same time, it's, they will still likely finish top of the of the group just equal on matches and obviously lose a match against Juventus, which I don't know if, if they want to do or not and kind of sacrifice. Because um, obviously over the weekend, you play Reading and Reading can be surprising. It should be an easy one realistically, but I think potentially it would be kind of put out a good team against a team like Juventus and kind of go easier over the weekend, which I think they can probably sacrifice a bit more against a team like Reading. But it's... Look, for the rest of the season, it's going to be really interesting to to see how Chelsea do. And, and I think I think Chelsea are a bit more confident in themselves than Arsenal are at the moment. Um, so I think for the title race and everything else, I think it's more dependent on how Arsenal do rather than what Chelsea do, because I am confident that Chelsea can keep up consistency a lot better than Arsenal. So I think it's going to be dependent on that more than anything. Um, obviously, Man City are nowhere near, so it is really reliant on Arsenal. So... For the rest of the season, I can I can see Chelsea doing decently okay. I don't think that they will do as good as they expect themselves to, just for very, very various reasons. Um, and I'm not saying that as a as a salty Arsenal fan. I just don't think that they're gonna do as well as they think they are gonna do, specifically in the Champions League. Um, so it should be interesting. But yeah, I think I mean their confidence is is there, and I think this win just gave him that much more confidence and you see that a team like Chelsea thrives off of that so it's going to be really interesting to see how how it continues throughout the season fair enough and Jesse kind of similar question for you what do you think what's going to happen on Thursday and how does this you know go through for the rest of the season yeah I think the win this win is like I tweeted after the game like it feels like a statement victory because as I said before I do think there has been a loss of confidence and I do think this will do a lot to restore it. Um, I think in terms of Juve, I think it's going to be a tricky one. Um, but I think Chelsea will go into it feeling strong and feeling good that they've beaten Juve once. It's against Joe Montemuro, who they like beating, and they've just beaten his old team. Um, I think actually, you know, being able to bring Panila Harder in works out really well for them. Um, you know, it's it's a nice player to think, oh, we kind of rested her or let her get back to to match fitness, and now, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get to start her hopefully against Juventus. Um, so, but I think it's it's a tough one because I do think there's a lot of pressure on the game. You know, in some ways Chelsea need a point to go through. I think, um, but we've spoken before about how important it is to finish finish top. Um, and I think that's also something that I just found funny about um, the FA Cup and kind of Idaville's comments afterwards about, you know, like kind of resting players or whatever for the for the rest of the other competitions, especially because Arsenal obviously have this big game against Barcelona as well. Uh, but Arsenal are kind of like done, like they're they're not probably going to top their group, but like they'll almost certainly go through. So it feels like Chelsea actually had a lot more incentive to be have one eye on those games than than Arsenal did. So I found that a bit of a strange one. Um, but yeah, I think Chelsea will just be really looking to keep the good vibes going into like quite a busy Christmas period, really. Um, and I, I think I feel, I feel confident. I feel like way more confident about this team, um, than I have for most of the season so far. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Alex, you know, I still think there is a big gap between Chelsea and predominantly Barcelona. I feel like I can't really judge on some of the other, you know, Bayern, Leon, 
um, PSG have all kind of had like wobbly moments. So I think Chelsea are probably around their level. But yeah, I certainly haven't seen anything yet this season, which makes me think, oh, if we've replayed the Champions League final right now, Chelsea are going to like come out on top. But I also just don't know when that's going to happen. And that is quite like a scary prospect. (laughs) I feel like more Barcelona need to like fuck up than Chelsea are going to actually reach that level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would totally, I would totally agree with that, and I, I, I echo both your, your sentiments. All right, last thing: standout performance of the game, one player that stood out for, for you, Jesse and Alex. I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, I'm gonna give an honorary mention, but I'm gonna give my actual standout performer to Fran Kirby because I thought she was immense. But I shall give an honorary mention to Jess Carter because apart from the one bit where she passed the ball to Kim Little in midfield, uh, she had a really, really good game. And um, yeah, she did actually end up with Miedema in her pocket, basically. There were some great tackles there. Um, and I should give credit because, you know, I don't always love her. But when she does well, she she did do well. Anna. But I also think it's credit to to Magda and, and Millie for helping her out. But yeah, for me, Frank Kirby was like, she just pulled the strings and she looks so good. And if it wasn't for Zinsberger, she'd have probably had a first half hat trick. There's actually one point where I watched, when I rewatched today, I realized um, one of the shots she takes, it's the one that's like low into the bottom corner. She's actually turned to start celebrating. She's so confident it's gone in. Um, but Zinsberger then gets a hand to it and tips her on the post. So I just noticed that I was like, Fran, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but I saw you get ready to wheel away there and then kind of turn back quickly and sheepishly. Uh, Alex? Yeah, from an Arsenal perspective, Zinsberger was obviously, you know, she pulled out a lot. Of, like that save, that was a really good reaction. If you watch from the back of the goal, you see how low she gets and how quick she gets there. And, and obviously on top of that, she has a strength to push the ball out of the goal. Um, so Zinsberger, obviously, but I don't think... Um, Everyone knows that a player of the match is not going to come from the Arsenal side. Um, from a Chelsea perspective, I think Aaron Cuthbert had a really good game. Um, you know, Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr, I think that's... I won't mention it just to avoid having the same players uh, mentioning it and kind of the ones that scored the goals. But I think Aaron Cuthbert did really well defensively. Um, you know, we mentioned her battle with Katie McCabe that she absolutely nailed. But there is quite a few times where... Aaron Cuthbert was the one making the tackles in the box, um, especially towards the end when Arsenal started picking up some kind of rhythm. And there was quite a few balls into the area and Aaron Cuthbert kind of tracked back. And she was the one putting her body on the line to kind of make sure everything was gone. And she hyped herself up. I mean, she was she had the right to. She, she was doing really, really well. And I think Aaron Cuthbert was kind of the... is an unsung hero, especially for the performance yesterday. She did her job... And she did it really well. And then she did a little bit more um, for the team. So I think that's she's a really good player. And I think her performance should be recognized. 100%. I, I agree with you, Alex. For me, it's it was it definitely Aaron Cuthbert as well. I you know I think I think her as, as coming into this new role as, as a right wing back, I think we've seen some moments in the season where, you know, we're questioning, is this the position? Is it not? Can she sustain it? But I think this game was a culmination of her efforts over the season. And I think... To be able to to keep Katie McCabe, one of the most dangerous players in the league so far, uh, kind of quiet throughout the game, and even you know taking a knock from from those from those you know, aggressive challenges, I think was was a testament to that. And I think I think even just from a personality standpoint, Aaron Cusper versus Katie McCabe, you're getting two hot headed aggressive players coming up against each other. It's like you know like iron versus iron kind of type deal, and I think that that worked out perfectly. Um, you know, really good tackles, really good awareness of space. You know, her ability to cover inside on the outside. I think it was, I think it was, it was a great game. And um, so, yeah, like Fran and Sam might be like the standout players, obviously, and the, they're the obvious names. But I think, yeah, Aaron Cuthbert from a defensive point of view uh, at the back was, I think, immense. So Chelsea's next few games, obviously, we've kind of touched upon it. So they play Juve on Thursday. Uh, followed by Reading on Saturday, two days later. So I think I think in one of those games, we're definitely going to expect to see a lot of rotation from the side. Um, followed by a Wolfsburg game a week from you know a week later, and the last group stage of the Champions League, and then they play uh, West Ham a couple of days later uh, at home, and then followed by uh, a derby against Spurs on the 9th of January. So we have a nice break between. Uh, you know, the 19th of December when they play West Ham to the next WSL game, which is 
obviously the Tottenham game and then after that they play Everton away from home which will be an interesting game to watch see how Mr. Jean-Luc Fasseur has done with that Everton side in, in the January window and you know what who knows maybe that point we're going to see some uh, some movement in the transfer window seeing as that's when the winter transfer window opens but having said that I think we come to the end of this wonderful episode um, again Thank you, Alex, for coming on and, and gracing us with your uh, presence here. And, and, and it's, you know, uh, commiserations on the loss. And you've come in after having just talked about the Arsenal perspective on another podcast. But you know what? We appreciate the uh, the words and, and, and your wisdom on this on this podcast. It was a bit painful, but thank you for having me on. Uh, always. And Jesse, as always, a pleasure. You know, we, we're always getting it done. Nick, you were missed. But it's fine. We'll see you back next week whenever, uh, you know, when we're back to a normally scheduled program. So for that, keep the blue flag flying high. We'll see you later. Bye.